Okay, well, a couple of you did. Sorry, guess um, we'll have to step it up on the amount of food next time for those of you that didn't get well fed. Turn in your Bibles to Second uh, Chronicles chapter 13. Uh, and as you're turning there, uh, I'll just share with you just a little bit. Hopefully this might come as a good or bad thing, I don't know. Showed the uh, pastor the uh, outline that I had. He just glanced at it and said, eh, looks like about 10 minutes of work. So no one here will get a long nap this afternoon. It's going to be... <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Uh, all right. Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 13. And we'll start out there towards the end of uh, verse number 2. And I'll read down to verse uh, 12. Abijah and Jeroboam. There was war between Abijah and Jeroboam. And Abijah set battle in array with an army of valiant men of war, even 400,000 chosen men. Jeroboam also set the battle in array against him with 800,000 chosen men, being mighty men of valor. And Abijah stood up upon Mount Zephyrim, which is in Mount Ephraim, and said, Hear me, thou Jeroboam, and all Israel. Ought ye not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingdom over Israel to David forever, even to him and to his sons by a covenant of salt? Yet Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the servant of Solomon, the son of David, is risen up and hath rebelled against his Lord. And there are gathered unto him vain men, the children of Belial, and have strengthened themselves against Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, when Rehoboam was young and tender-hearted, and could not withstand them. And now ye think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord in the hand of the sons of David, and ye be a great multitude. There are with you golden calves, which Jeroboam made you for gods. Have ye not cast out the priests of the Lord, the sons of Aaron, and the Levites, which have made you pri- and have made you priests after the manner of the nations of other lands, so that whoso, uh, whosoever cometh to consecrate himself with a young bullock and seven rams, the same may be a priest of them that are no gods." But as for us, the Lord is our God, and we have not forsaken him. And the priests which minister unto the Lord are the sons of Aaron, and the Levites wait upon their business, and they burn unto the Lord every morning and every evening, burnt sacrifice and sweet incense. The showbread also set they in order upon the pure table, and the lampstick of gold, or the candlestick of gold, with the lamps thereof, to burn every evening. For we keep the charge of the Lord our God, but ye have forsaken him. And Behold, God himself is with us for our captain and his priest with sounding trumpets to cry alarm against you, each individual. Fight ye not against the Lord God of your fathers, for ye shall not prosper. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to present your word to your people. Thank you so much for people that are willing to hear your word. Lord, uh, let the words I speak, uh, don't let them be mine. Let them be yours. Please, Lord, guide me. Uh, help me. Uh, cannot do this in my own power. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So there you see the two tribes. Uh, just to give you a bit of a paint of picture, it's what I tried to do, particularly when we uh, look in the books of history of the Old Testament. This time period, we're 18 years into the divided kingdom stage of Israel. Approximately 18 to 19 years uh, Jeroboam is the first and thus far the only king of the northern ten tribes of Israel. 
So you have Judah and Israel. It's not just Israel anymore. You have to look back. If you look back before uh, these times and kings and whatnot, Israel is, is all 12 tribes. That's not happening right now. The house of God is divided. The people of God are divided. Uh, there's been constant war between these two sides. And the great split was... Of course, something that has split many nations. I believe I've mentioned this before in the previous uh, message. Rehoboam committed political suicide when he overburdened the people with taxes against the advice of the wiser, older men of the kingdom. He was a foolish young man. You see that referenced here in this passage. And you see Abijah, he's the second king of Judah. His father has died. Rehoboam has died. Rehoboam was not a godly man. And towards the end of his life, neither was Solomon. And Jeroboam didn't even make it a year in the northern kingdom before he turned against God. So Israel has been without godly leadership for many decades. It's been a long time. And it, those of you that know Bible history know it's not going to get much better. Judah, you also see here, is outnumbered. Two to one. We're not sure what the exact cause of this battle is. Or why they're all being set away. Maybe Jeroboam sees, okay, maybe this is my opportunity to take the last two tribes. I got ten, they got two. Let's get them. Let's wipe this out. I'm taking it all. It's over. Maybe that's what's going on. It's not spoken for us in Scripture, in scripture but um, we can see that there's no obvious provocation on either side. But Judah's outnumbered, two to one. Judah had been violently expelled from Israel. The one who was sent up there to collect the taxes for uh, Rehoboam 18 years prior had been stoned to death. He had been driven out, and God had instructed Rehoboam not to go against and not to go fight the ten northern tribes. And that led to constant little bickering and skirmishing along the battlefields there. But then we're going to look now at this speech to Israel. Now that we got that picture painted, you see the battlefield set in array. You got one side, 800,000 men of valor. You got on the other side, 400,000 men of valor. Just to give you a picture, that's more than the entire population of the state of Wisconsin north of US, or north of Highway 29. North of Highway 29 is approximately a million people. You got more than a million people gathered here. So this is, would be the equivalent of taking everybody in northern Wisconsin. You got them ready to go to war. This is a big, this is a big to do. I believe this army is bigger, bigger than a lot of stand, most standing armies to this day. And you see the speech. You see the Davidic covenants referred, uh, referred there in, um, in the verses at three and four. And however, turn back in your Bible to what that Davidic covenant is. It's referenced that God set this kingdom up, set it for David. Go back to Samuel, Second Samuel chapter seven. We're going to look at what that said and what it says exactly and in great detail. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Starting out in verse 8, we'll go down to verse 16. Now therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant David, this is the Lord speaking through the prophet uh, uh, Nathaniel here. 
Thus saith Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep coat, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I was with thee, whithersoever thou wentest, and have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight, and hath made thee a great name, like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own, and move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more, as before time. And as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies. Also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee an house. And when thy days be fulfilled and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels. And I will establish his kingdom and he shall build an house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. If he commit iniquity, iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul, who I put away before thee, and thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee, thy throne shall be established forever. So what Abijah is saying here is he's telling these people, you're fighting against God. Don't you see God has set up this kingdom here in the south? This is the true kingdom. This is the true lineage. God has set it up. You're not going to be able to overthrow it. What are you doing? Even though you outnumber us two to one, you can't win. Also, he points out that they worship a false god. Verse 9, you cast out the priests, O Lord, the sons of Aaron. You see, the priests are cho- in the north are chosen by men. It's a political and it's a money scam. To see proof of the political system, or to the, the religious system that has been set up here, turn back in your Bibles. 1 Kings chapter 12. We'll start in uh, verse 26 to see exactly what he is referencing here. First Kings chapter 12, we'll start in verse 26. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord, little L Lord, even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah. They shall kill me and go to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And he set the one in Bethel, the other he put in Dan. Pay attention to those two cities there. It will come up again. Verse 29, And he set the one in Bethel, and the other put he in Dan. And this thing became a sin. And the people went to worship before the one, even unto Dan. And he made an house of high places, and made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not of the sons of Levi. And Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month, on the fifteenth day of the month, like unto the feast that is in Judah, and he offered upon the altar. So did he in Bethel, sacrificing unto the calves that he had made, and he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places which he had made. So he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel the fifteenth day of the eighth month, even in the month which he had devised of his own heart and ordained a feast unto the children of Israel, and he offered upon the altar burnt incense. So you see there they have a false God. It's a false system. It's a system set up because he's fearful of losing political power. Jeroboam is. He's afraid. Because he has, even though God told him the kingdom would fall to him, for some reason, he still feels scared that, oh no, maybe God can be undone. 
Maybe God's word is not enough. And he sets this up. And you see what the price is. You see, in order to be a priest in this false religion, you had to show some sign of wealth. A young bullock or seven rams is what you had to give. Be very cautious of religions and denominations or anything that places a price on the priesthood, places a price on becoming a minister of God. Or anyone who claims to be a minister of God and needs wealth to prove it is not a true minister of God. Yet that is what they're doing. And the foolishness of this religion that has been set up that Abijah is crying out against here, turn back in your Bibles again to Exodus 32. You'll see that this has been a religion that's already been overthrown. And it has already been disproven. Exodus chapter 32, verse 19. And it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh into the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hand and brake them beneath the mount. And he took the calf which they had made and burnt it in the fire, grounded into powder, and strawed it upon the water, and made the children of Israel drink of it. That, uh, the whole punishment of that, just deviate here a little bit of rabbit trail, how much God hated this. God showed how much He hated this false religion through how He punished the children of Israel with it. They burned it, ground up the ashes, and threw it, threw it into water, and made the children of Israel drink it. Hopefully none of you have had this unfortunate experience. Neither have I. I witnessed someone else have this experience when I worked in the construction trade. Uh, Unfortunately, a lot of people, and some of the people that I worked in the construction trade, were very vulgar individuals. And they were vain men. A lot of them, they did not. They smoked. They blasphemed. And what a lot of the smokers would do is they would take their can of soda drink it till it was almost gone, leave a little bit there in the bottom, and they would use that to where they put their cigarettes in. Now, I learned very quickly, especially after seeing this, that you do not pick up a can and drink it on the job site, no matter what. Even if you think you can see the contents. I watched someone pick up a can that he thought was his Coke. It was not. And just to give you a picture, I got a pretty clear picture in my head what the children of Israel must have had to go through when this gentleman took a swig back and all over the place. Oh, he was mad. He was done working for the day. He was, I won't go into the grotesque details, but he was pretty well incapacitated. That's what God forced upon the children of Israel when they had taken these gods, these two calves, and they're doing it again. After everything that's happened throughout Judges, after everything that happened to Saul when he turned away from God, all this history that has come before in the Bible, and Jeroboam goes right back into this false religion that has already been defeated, the children of Israel have already been severely punished, it's a real... What are you doing? And Abijah is pointing that out. What are you doing? You're fighting against God. Here's how you're fighting against God. You're fighting against His true king. You're fighting against His religion. And now he's going to change pace a little bit. He's going to talk about his side. 
And he says there, starting in, um, starting in verse 10, But for us, love about us, our cause is just. Us, on the other hand, the Lord is our God. And we have not forsaken him, and the priests which minister unto the Lord, which are the sons of Aaron, and the Levites wait upon their business. We serve God. God is on our side. We got the right, in the modern vernacular, we got the right pastors. We don't have none of those women preachers. Our pastors are here to the strictest and highest in moral discipline. Husband of one wife. Have their house in order. We're following the true God. We have everything done right. We follow all the religious rules. Our pastors follow the religious rules. Our priests follow them. See in verse 11, And they burn unto the Lord every morning and every evening, burnt offerings or burnt sacrifice and sweet incense. The showbread also they set in order upon the pure table and the candlestick of gold with the lamps, therefore, to burn every evening. For we keep the charge of the Lord our God, but ye have forsaken him. And behold, God himself is with us for our captain and his priests with sounding trumpets to cry alarm against you. O children of Israel, fight ye not against the Lord God of your fathers, for ye shall not prosper. Equivalent of a modern day president getting up and saying, God is the God of this nation. We have in God we trust on our money. We know what we're doing. We pray to the one and only God. Now, as we'll see a little bit later, a lot of this is, and sorry I didn't give it to you at the beginning. Uh, I would have failed my uh, preaching class on that, but the title of the message is Great Talk. All right, back to the we're already in point two. So, their cause is just. They got it. We follow the religious rules. Everything looks good. Priests are good. Showbread's in order. Sacrifices and incense is being, burning, being burned correctly. God is on our side. All right. That's taking place. Let's look at what happens in the battle. But your, verse 13, but Jeroboam caused an ambushment. Ooh, not a word you ever want to hear in war, especially when it's against you. But Jeroboam caused an ambushment to come about behind them, so that they were before Judah, and the ambushment was behind them. And when Judah looked back, behold, the battle was before and behind. And they cried unto the Lord, and the priest sounded with the trumpets. Yes, if you were in that situation, you're not only outnumbered two to one, but now you have no route of escape. You are done. Military terms, you are finished. Your goose is cooked. Try to get the best surrender deal you can. This has happened in military history. Most school children who here has learned in school uh, the battle of, um, well, I can't remember the battle now, but the general's name, General Custer, fought in the Indian Wars out west, was surrounded and outnumbered. What happened to that individual? Yeah, he's done. I think one man survived. Yeah, not good. No, it wasn't Guster that survived. Um, then you have some where it turns out a little bit better in our military history. Just understand the predicament these men are in. Uh, you, had the, you had the Marines in the Army in Korea, chosen reservoir, pushed all the way up against China. All of a sudden, China decides, oh, we're going to fight for the North Koreans. Say, wait, what? Okay. All of a sudden, Marines are completely surrounded. Now, fortunately, there was a good general there who conducted a fighting retreat. He was not victorious, but there was an individual that, I don't know if there's any other Marines in here, but they were, they'd know the name, Chesty Polar. Upon being informed, they're surrounded. He says, good, we can attack in any direction. 
Sweet. That simplifies all my problems. I can go anywhere I want. Yeah, that's a little bit of bravado, but uh, even that battle, many men froze to death. It was not pretty. It could not be considered a victory, other than maybe a moral victory. So these men are done. They're outnumbered, and but they do the right thing. They cry unto the Lord, the priests sound the trumpets, and then God delivers Israel into the hands of Judah. It happens. You see there that it's nothing that Judah did, no tactical military genius on the part of Abijah, or no valiant Medal of Honor type heroics. God did it. God gave Israel into the hand of Judah. And it says in verse 16 there, And the children of Israel fled before Judah, and God delivered them into their hand. And Abijah and his people slew them with a great slaughter. And there fell down slain of Israel 500,000 chosen men. Take everybody north of Cumberland, or draw a straight line across Cumberland, go north in the state of Wisconsin, approximately 500,000 people there, every one of them's dead. For perspective, that's what this battlefield looked like. It was not a pretty sight. It was a mess. There's no way, and Israel did not recover from this. Jeroboam did not recover from this. You'll see that later. Thus the children of Israel were brought under that time. The children of Judah prevailed because they relied upon the Lord God of their fathers. God won the battle for them. 500,000 men are slaughtered. You see in verses 19, 20, all the way, uh, 19 and 20, you see the three cities are taken. Notice the three cities. Bethel, huh, where have we heard that before? Oh, that was one of the cities that they set up the temple of the false god. Interesting. Great great job there, Golden Calf. Did a great job protecting yourself. Jeseath, with the towns thereof, and Ephraim, with the towns thereof. And Jeroboam, recover, and neither did Jeroboam recover strength again in the days of Abijah, and the Lord struck him, and he died. So you see, their king ended up being struck. He wasn't killed by Abijah. It doesn't look like he died in the battle. But you see that Jeroboam was struck and he was killed by the Lord. 500,000 men are killed. The, and you, think about the point from Elijah, or from Abai, Abijah. Think about that from his standpoint. Oh, he only had 400,000 men, and somehow, some way, 500,000 of the enemy are dead. The king of them is dead. One of their false religious centers is overtaken, political center, and you got three cities. Pretty good. God gave you a pretty great victory. But let's look at the aftermath. And this is where it's going to get a little ugly. Notice what you do not see. You do not see in Chronicles or where this is recorded in Kings, you do not see Abijah thanking God anywhere or giving God the credit, even though it was God who did this for him. All Abijah did was he delivered a great talk. Woohoo! God won the battle for him. And then you see, you, you notice the false god in the temple at Bethel is not destroyed. Because it had to be done later. You'll notice later, it had to be done later. That high place had to be torn down. So God's commands weren't followed. What you do see, is you do see it seems like Abijah takes all the glory. Notice in verse 21, But Abijah waxed mighty and married fourteen wives and begat twenty and two sons and sixteen daughters. And the rest of the acts of Abijah and his ways and his sayings are written in the story of the prophet Idu. And then you see 
He falls into sin right away. Falls into sexual sin, particularly polygamy. And he continued to ignore God just like his father had. Just like his father had, he did the exact same thing. That's what you do notice. Great speech. Great talk. We got the right God. We worship the right way. He's on our side. Everything's right with us. Okay, what'd you do with it? What happened? Oh, the army that outnumbered you two to one is gone? You just forget him? Just throw it all away? The challenge today is to make sure this is a... Uh, our pastor preaches expository. I'm preaching occasional sermons does not lend itself to expository preaching. So I, with his permission, of course, preach topical messages. But the challenge in this message is on the topic of a... The topic of Abijah. The topic of how you live your life. Walking the walk and talking the talk. Or talking the talk and then walking the walk. Is this you? I mean, you're all here. You're all at the you're all at a church that preaches the correct doctrines. You go to Sunday school class, your teachers teach you the right things. Wednesday night. You all carry around the correct translation of the Bible. Sing the right music in our hymnals. Wow, thank God. Look around. There's no percussion set up here. There's no people getting up, dancing around, rolling in the aisles, acting the fool in our services. Not saying saying amen, maybe raising your hand every once in a while. That's okay. But there, that, that's perfectly within order. There's no one acting here the fool. Not trying to say you can't get excited about God, but don't be foolish with it. So you're all here. You're all doing the right thing. Everything looks right. But take a look inward. I don't. God knows your heart. I don't. I want to challenge you to look inward. Are you like this this man, Abijah? Do you only call on God in times of trouble? When you're surrounded? When there's no chance of you winning? When you're done for? Is that the only time you talk to God? Is that the only time you'll read your Bible? Unfortunately, I, too often, uh, individuals, sometimes myself included at school, uh, had this attitude with assignments. It's like um, we waited for the correct mood, I guess we thought, was last-minute panic to set in before we did anything. That's not the proper outlook to have definitely on life or anything. God's word. God's not to be used when ah, everything's falling apart. Okay, now I go to God. He's not a rabbit. He's not a rabbit's foot that you're of, or four leaf clover, or any other whatever terms for good luck charms are. I don't believe in that stuff, so I don't pay attention to it. Do you take credit for the work God's done? Do you take credit for the grace God's given you? I know the only reason I'm standing before you right now is by the grace of God. Uh, I'm, I'm not the smartest man in this room, definitely. I'm not the smart. I was not the smartest individual in my class. I was not the best Marine in my unit. I was not the best. I was not the best student in Bible college. I struggle. These songs in here, notes. What are those? These little down lines, that's where when you lead songling and you come down on the beat. 
That's as far as my music understanding goes. I'm, I'm only up here by the grace of God. I, I don't know why he called me. And I have to be very careful not to take credit for anything that happens. Because it's blatantly obvious. It was not me. Do you do that? Are you on the way to sepulcher? Like the Pharisees were. You're clean on the outside. Like I talked about, go to the right church. You have a properly qualified pastor, properly qualified deacons and Sunday school teachers. All our, your workers here. All our workers here are, are trained. The ones that are qualified to work with uh, children are trained in how to rightly adorn the Word of God and how to keep it above reproach. They're interviewed by the pastor to make sure that their stance on doctrine is correct. An uncorrupted translation of the Bible is used here. But, do you use your God-given gifts? Not sure everybody's giving different gifts. They're all listed in the New Testament. Everybody has gifts, some. Are you using them for Christ or are you using them for personal enrichment? Personal gratification? I don't know if I have any gifts that could be used for enrichment. So that makes it a lot easier for me, but that's by the grace of God. You use your position, whatever position God has given you, be it father, mother, teacher, pastor, all men. Just so you know, men, all of you are leaders. All of us are leaders. That's your position that God has given you. And particularly when you get married, that's been made, <laughs> that's been made very obvious in my personal life. How are you using that position? Are you using it to lord over your family? Or are you using that to nurture them, bring them up in the admonition of the Lord? We see that this man, Abijah, he used his gifts, he used his position for lasciviousness. He used it as a license to sin. Oh, every other king's taken this many wives. Let me build up my Harlem. I can't do that. Shouldn't say it's you can't do that. You obviously, God permits it, but that's not right. It should not happen. Do you leave the dirty work for others like Abijah did? Left it for his son Asa, didn't destroy any of the high places that were built up. Maybe he was too busy with his uh, 14 wives. Maybe he was too busy with them to tear down this false temple that he just got in this newly conquered city of Bethel. Maybe he was too busy. Too busy counting up all the loot from this battle to make sure the high places were destroyed and that God was being properly worshipped and glorified as was his duty as king. And once God has saved or once God has saved you, do you return to your sinful ways? What do you do with it? What do you do? That's a challenge. Think. Ask yourself those questions. I believe everyone here today has accepted. Christ is your Savior. But right now, we'll close in prayer, and then we'll have an invitation. And if you have anything that you need to confess to God, anything you need to get right, if you have a decision you want to make, make it public, that'll be the time after we pray and then we sing. Let's pray. Dearly Father, Lord, thank you so much for this example that you put forth in your word. 
Help us, Lord, to learn a lesson from it, to heed the warnings. Help us to follow and obey you. Do everything for your glory. That's why we're here. Lord, thank you so much. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Hymn number 319.